Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, March 18th. In addressing those who have spoken against you, say to them, Thank you. You've helped me affirm that which alone is real to me, the joy of my own being. A friend once spent more than one hour coldly denouncing me for all the faults he had perceived in me. They seemed in some way to disturb his peace of mind. I listened in silence, then thanked him. There was nothing more to be said. After his departure, however, I wrote what I think is one of my best songs, the lyrics of which go, Though green summer fade and winter draw near, my Lord, in your presence, I live without fear. Through tempest, through snows, through turbulent tide, the touch of your hand is my strength and my guide. I ask for no riches that death can destroy. I crave only thee, your love and your joy. The dancers will pass, the singing must end. I welcome the darkness with you for my friend. For this song I am forever grateful to my self-styled enemy and ill-wisher. This was really a very interesting moment in Swamiji's life. This particular person that he's referring to um, was and remained for 12 years. This man lived at Ananda under his own self-declared conditions, which included contributing absolutely nothing financially because he meditated a lot, he thought we should be grateful that he was living there. And finally, after 12 years, Swamiji tolerated him for such a long time in the hope that he would uh, deepen his understanding and become more generous in his attitude. But instead, he became more and more hardened in his egoic sense of his unique capabilities and correspondingly Swami Kriyananda's increasing worthlessness on every level. And finally, with Swamiji's permission, the community manager issued an ultimatum to the man that either he began to contribute at the minimum level that other people contributed, or he needed to find another place to live. So he decided to find another place to live, but literally on his way out, he stopped by Swami Kriyananda's house to make sure that Swamiji knew what a low-life scumbag he was, (laughs) Kriyananda was. And so this man, who, was, who actually had a lot of force, he just sat down in the living room and proceeded in a very cold manner, just in a very sort of, uh, in his way, just kind of like a, a, a medical, you know, with medical calm and medical thoroughness, just systematically described every despicable thing about Kriyananda, now completely worthless his life was, and how other people might be fooled, but he wasn't fooled, just went on and on and on. Swamiji... It's a principle with him. He said, I'm here to overcome the ego. 
I'm not here to defend it. So if this man wanted to articulate every possible weakness that Swami might have, he would just listen attentively to see if there was anything he could learn, which he did, and he was polite, because the man himself was <laughs> expressing all the rudeness that the world needed at the moment, so it was not going to be enhanced by Swami Kriyananda also being rude back to him. In fact, it would have given that man a great deal of satisfaction to have aroused some kind of um, angry response. He, he was the kind of person who would have fed on that response, and Swamiji instinctively knew that the very best thing to do was just what he did. So then finally the man left, and Swami just said, you know, thank you for sharing your point of view. But Swamiji said actually that it, it was so such a pointed attack, and as also Swami put it, it was a it was a very intelligent attack. You know, it was he attacked Swamiji in ways that were harder to defend against. You know, if somebody uh, tells you, well, as I was speaking uh, just in yesterday's, if somebody accuses you of skimming millions of dollars from Ananda and you haven't done it, well, you just haven't done it. It just sits there. But if someone accuses you of more subtle wrong motive or more subtle mistakes, such as misunderstanding the teachings of your guru or having a self-interest where you are sure that there isn't any. I mean, these are, these are more disconcerting issues. So he said it's not that he actually believed what the man said, but being subject to that kind of um, vituperous attack for a whole hour, he said just made him uneasy. And so Swamiji said as soon as the man walked out the door, he just walked right over to the piano without any particular thought in his mind. Swamiji composes a great deal of music. He just sat down to, at the piano, and as he said, the song just came to him. The words and the lyrics came to him. And it, it, was, it was solving the problem of this attack at the deepest possible level. You see, there's, there's many different ways that we can um, solve a difficulty. And one of the ways we can solve a difficulty is to say, it isn't true, it isn't true. And then you push it aside that way. I was caught in a situation once where I thought that someone who was very close to me had been, uh, had been killed in a fire, actually, um, because we were in India and it was a very confused situation and this, this temple that we were in caught fire and there were 30 of us together and we sort of fled in different directions. So there was a period of time when the information I was given made me think that someone had been killed, been, been burned to death. Um, but for, for about five minutes, I had to live with that as a possibility. And then all of a sudden the person showed up and it wasn't true anymore. But for those five minutes it had been true. And it was very interesting to me because the next day it was like my subconscious mind had registered the trauma, and the trauma had not been erased when it turned out not to be true. It was like my physical body had registered the trauma. And I could feel that even though nothing had happened, there was still a part of me that was just acting as if someone had. So now there were two ways that I could solve this. One of them was to say, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, see, we were safe, we were safe, there's no reason to be scared. But it's true. We, we, nobody was burned. Nobody was hurt. No, no, nothing was lost. Well, people were burned, but nobody was killed. And 
Or the other thing to say is, well, it could have happened. You know, it could have gone completely the other way. And then what would I have done? In other words, I could make myself safe with a temporary comfort. Or I could say, what if there had been a death? What would I have done then? And Because as long as I was afraid of there having been a death, as long as a death would have created that kind of trauma in me, I was enormously vulnerable. And I didn't want to be vulnerable because this time it didn't happen, but tomorrow it could. I mean, I'm not in control of life and death. So I, I, I sat down to meditate, and instead of assuring myself that nobody had been killed, I went back to the point where I thought someone had been killed, and I played the whole thing out completely differently. I played it out as if they had been killed, then we had to retrieve the body, then we had to decide whether to send it back to the U.S. or to cremate it there. Should I bring the ashes back to the U.S.? Should I just put the ashes in the Ganges there? I had to call all the friends who needed to know that their friend had died. I needed to call the family so that they would know their relative had died. I had to go back. I had to sort out their belongings. I had to give the belongings away. I mean, it was this huge thing. And in this meditation, I just did the whole thing. And what that did is that removed the trauma because... It was accepted, it was dealt with, and we were able to go on with our lives. It never really happened, but the fear of it happening was faced and resolved. So there's Swamiji, and this unpleasant person has just poured out all his poisonous point of view on Swamiji. One way to make himself safe is to say it isn't true. I'll just dismiss him, it isn't true. But what if it had been true? What if, in fact, this was the revelation of the realization that everything in life, you know, that all the good things Swamiji had tried to do were, in fact, fallacious, and that all his good intentions had really gone sour, and at the end of his life he had nothing to show. So Swami sat down at the piano with these thoughts in his mind, just a little rattled, and this beautiful song came. Though green summer fade and winter draw near, my Lord, in thy presence I live without fear. You know, I ask for no riches that death can destroy, and riches is not just money. Riches is, you know, success, fame, accomplishment. I ask for nothing that will all just be wiped away by death. I crave only thee, your divine love and your joy. And then the world can do whatever it wants. And see, this is, this is the underlying background to all these suggestions that Swamiji makes. You can't live this way. You can't, you can't respond to your self-styled enemies with this kind of power unless you have practiced long before that moment attuning yourself to that which is truly real, defining yourself by that which is truly real, drawing your comfort, your solace, your support from that which is truly real. And the way of this world is such a interplay of light and darkness. This was such an unpleasant experience for Swamiji. And even though he's very strong in himself, still he had to sit there in the company of this very, um, this man who had a very malicious intent. And, and that man just for one hour just spewed at Swami as much, you know, his intention, his, his, his conscious intention 
was to destroy Swamiji and, and his confidence in himself and his belief that he had done anything good. He sat there and wanted to hurt Swamiji. I mean, that's terrible, absolutely terrible. Swamiji um, spoke once about this attorney that we had to work with. Swami described him as the closest thing to the personification of evil that we are likely to encounter in our lives. Now, this man was so much that way that he loved to be insulted. And when, and when he knew that Swami said this, because Swami published it in a letter, he, he, in a deposition, he asked Swami to explain himself. And Swamiji said, these were the words to this man, I don't know, he said, whether in your personal life, if you are a sadist, he said, but in your professional life, you enjoy hurting people. And I believe that you became an attorney because it would give you the opportunity to hurt people. And he says, to deliberately seek to hurt people and enjoy hurting them. He said, if that's not the personification of evil, he said, I don't know what is. And he just, you know, he didn't, Swami didn't shrink from it. He just stood clearly. And, you know, to be in the presence of evil, even if the accusations are entirely false, is very disconcerting. I had to work with that attorney, so I know. I mean, work, meaning I had to stand for Ananda in the, in the face of that man at times, and it's very disconcerting. It just, if you have a, a tender heart at all, it's very dismaying. It, it's not even that it makes you angry at him. It just, it's just disconcerting to realize that this is a world of light and shadow, and the only security is in the light because the shadow will always be there. So Swamiji sat down after this experience of just sitting in the shadow with this man who was deliberately with all his willpower trying to hurt Swamiji as much as he could. And what came to him was, nothing in this world matters. The only thing that really matters is that I'm close to God. And when death comes, everything is swept away and I'm not afraid. You know, whether this life has been a success or a failure, whether I am who I think I am or whether I'm totally deceived, I know that I love you, and that's all that matters. After Swamiji wrote this song, um, I live nearby, he, he telephoned me, and he said, I've just written the most wonderful song. No, the most wonderful song has just been given to me. He said, if I never do anything else in the world, except write this one song, he said, my life will have been worthwhile. And then he sang it to me over the phone. He was calling lots of people, and I was one of them. Isn't that who we want to be? So let's hear again what Swami says. In addressing those who have spoken against you, say to them, thank you. You've helped me affirm that which alone is real to me, the joy of my own being. A friend once spent more than one hour coldly denouncing me for all the faults he had perceived in me. They seemed in some way to disturb his peace of mind. I listened in silence, then thanked him. There was nothing more to be said. After his departure, however, I wrote what I think of as one of my best songs, the lyrics of which go, Though green summer fade and winter draw near, my Lord, in your presence... I live without fear. 
through tempest, through snows, through turbulent tide, the touch of your hand is my strength and my guide. I ask for no riches that death can destroy. I crave only thee, your love and your joy. The dancers will pass. The singing must end. I welcome the darkness with you for my friend. Swami writes, for this song, I am forever grateful to my self-styled enemy and ill-wisher. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.